Hello and welcome to this week's Investor Insights Call. Throughout this, all participants, of course, will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this is being recorded. So today, I'm pleased to pass you over to Charles Prudeau and Keith Wade. Gentlemen, please begin. Thank you very much, Hugh, and welcome, everybody, to this week's Market Insights Call. And I think that the main drama really has been happening in the U.S. Treasury market since the last one of these calls, where we've seen a significant breakout uh, in the 10-year so that it's now yielding 3.2%, um, 3.24 is actually where it closed uh, on Friday. Yesterday, the U.S. market was shut for Columbus Day. Um, other than that, though, just by way of background in terms of what's been going on during the last week, um, we, of course, had the Fed in the States um, uh, with their regular meeting and, um, and then Jerome Powell coming out and saying that interest rates, quote, were still accommodative, but were gradually moving to a place where they will be neutral. Uh, and we may go past neutral, um, which reflects the underlying tightness um, of the labor market and, of course, the growth. So um, my view, acting as a responsible central banker in terms of putting that statement out there. Um, the labor market, just by way of background, continues to tighten. The unemployment rate now measured at 3.7%, uh, which for the statisticians among you is the lowest since 1969. Um, so... Um, uh, so that shows how tight the market is, um, and importantly, average hourly earnings uh, rising now at a 2.8% year-on-year clip, which was more or less in line with market expectations. Uh, but again, that's a still a, a relatively healthy underlying rate. Um, the eurozone is, and indeed the world outside the U.S. continues to be uh, less robust, and that is the pattern that we've been talking about all year, and that persists. Um, it's very, very different outside the U.S. Uh, where, of course, um, the Eurozone is continuing to bumble along, um, but the Purchasing Managers Index, the, the so-called PMI, um, eased off further last week, um, uh, mainly down to a decline in manufacturing, um, uh, probably centered a bit in, uh, in, in Germany. Um, elsewhere, uh, I think the only other big macro data that's noteworthy was the third quarter Bank of Japan Tankan survey that came out um, and what was interesting there was the, uh, the indication to this underlying corporate sentiment because CapEx plans continue to be very, very strong. Um, and uh, the most aggressive, indeed the survey, contained the most aggressive forecast for CapEx uh, since 2006. So, um, Keith, with that as, um, as background, welcome and uh, thanks for being here as, as usual. Much, much appreciate your time. Um, Johanna has talked a lot this year about the rule of three, um, as she put it, in terms of growth and uh, the, the interest rate. And I, I suppose, you know, we've seen um, equity markets uh, struggle of late. And one thing that struck me is that the two-year, not often will we talk about the two-year, mm. but the two-year Treasury bond now yields uh, a little over 28 um, which is higher, of course, than the yield that you're getting on the S&P. And mm. so this paradigm shift that, again, we've been discussing all year, really now coming home to roost in terms of people having a different risk-free option to risk assets. Um, what's your take on, on the shape of the yield curve? Um, mm. And indeed, now that we've broken seemingly that threshold of 3% quite significantly, uh, where do you think we go from here? 
Well, yes, as you said, we've broken through the three percent, and uh, I mean, we just had a couple of words on that. I mean, you know, clearly strong growth has been one of the factors behind it. Um, I have to remember there are some other factors going on at the moment. I mean, obviously the the uh, the QT, the reduction in the balance sheet at the Fed, something that people never talk about, but you know, that's that's probably having some impact. Uh, right. That's a big change Liquidity compared to a year ago. Yeah. Liquidity withdrawal. Um, there's some technical factors as well, some tax breaks for US companies that ended in September, which would have reduced their appetite for buying bonds. So there are a couple of things sort of you know coming together. But we must not forget that you know the Fed is reducing its balance sheet and next year the ECB will be reducing its balance sheet as well. And if markets are forward looking, then they should anticipate some of that. Um, I would say though that the, the data is not all one way in the US. The purchasing managers index actually has come off quite a bit. Um, and the numbers that we had last week for September show that you know global trade growth is slowing down quite a bit. So uh, the other thing I would say on the U.S., which sounds a bit sort of technical, sort of economist point, but quite a lot of the strength you're, you're, in the you're US, forgiven. You're forgiven. Thank you. Is, is is basically a lot of it's due to inventory building, and I'm always a little bit wary when inventory building is, is contributing because it's always a very technical factor, and um, you know that will drop out in Q4. So. You know, when you look at the forecast for the Q3, as the picture builds, uh, it looks like oh, inventory is going to be adding over a percentage point to growth, and that will disappear in Q4. So that will come off. So, so some of that that will. So you're putting us on notice that the headline rates of growth in the states may start to come off. Ease back, yes, uh, as as we go through Q4, and uh, uh, I think that's that's quite likely. I mean, the other factor to to look at in relation to to what happens to bonds, of course, is inflation. And we, we've actually got some inflation numbers coming out later this week, which will be pretty critical. But the, the break-even inflation rate in the market has remained very stable and hasn't really moved. Um, now, we are a bit cautious about inflation next year, so we could see a little bit of upward pressure continuing to come through because we think the core rate may continue to move up. And I think that really ties in with you know, whether or not the Fed goes beyond neutral. Um, if the Fed perceives that there is some kind of inflation problem, then you know it would tend to tighten beyond neutral because it would feel it would have to slow the economy quite severely to bring inflation expectations down. So that's going to be quite quite a key test as we go into uh, into next year as to whether or not inflation expectations do do pick up you know further uh, and and drive things higher. But your central expectation remains kind of three further 25 basis point hikes from here. Yes, that's right. And actually, for the first time since we've been doing these calls, the market is pretty much in line with that now. The market has generally been behind it. So, yeah. listen to these calls. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, you know, we, we're getting to a point now where we can say, well, look, actually, we, we think, you know, 3% is the peak, and that's getting quite close to what the market's thinking. And, of course, that would make you begin to think that maybe there's a bit of value creeping back into bond yields uh, at, at this particular point in time. And, so our view is still that you know as we go through the next few months, we probably see the curve flattening further. Um, and this was something that we did discuss in the global market perspective. And um, you know the implications of this is the uh, document that's just come out. Yes, that's right. The the quarterly document that, that came out yesterday. Uh, it's edited by myself and Tina Fong, but we did include some analysis there of you know what does an inverted yield curve mean. For the economy and markets, which I think people might find interesting, just looking at some historical uh, comparisons there, because the yield curve has been a good indicator of future recession uh, in the U.S. Um, and, and my view, as, as many of you know, has been for some time that 
the US economy will cool off through 2019 and the cycle will probably end in 2020, which would be perfectly consistent with the yield curve actually inverting at some point next year. Right, right. So that um, fits in terms of um, the prognosis, but it also fits in terms of it becoming harder and harder for risk assets right now. Um, and um, it's been interesting to see uh, the sort of pressure that technology shares in the U.S. have been under recently uh, mm. on the back of that uh, of that pressure. Um, okay, can we move on? You, you alluded very briefly at the start to um, the other thing which has been driving sentiment is rates is one thing, but also uh, trade. Yeah. Um, where the, the news, I mean, let's be clear, the news is, again, a bit mixed. And, mm. I, and that's not mm. an English mix. That's genuinely mixed. Mm. Yes, uh, well, it has been. And, uh, I mean, I, I think we can take a little bit of comfort from recent developments. So the U.S. Uh, has now done a deal with Mexico and Canada um, and also, you know, is in talks with Japan and the EU and has also said that they won't put tariffs on autos until those talks have really made some progress. So, so that's all pretty good news. And I think what it means, actually, is that the U.S. doesn't look like it's planning to go global, if you like, on trade and start putting tariffs on everybody. This was one of the scenarios that we were worried about. That, that you know, and, and if the U.S. did that, that's the point at which you really start to get some kind of impact on global growth. And in fact, the IMF were flagging this only today, um, you know, in in Bali at the annual meetings. That should we see a global trade war, then you know we would see much weaker global growth and their forecasts. Uh, so therefore, it's, through. It, it's it's really about China. It's about China and the focus on China. And uh, you may have seen that uh, Mike Pompeo is out in China at the moment and getting a pretty frosty reception. Um, it seems that the relationship there is, is, if anything, continuing to deteriorate. I mean, I, I was struck by. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it, Keith, but this article that was a um, long article of investigative journalism on Bloomberg uh, last week, highlighting um, the way in which uh, different parts of the supply chain um, for U.S. company products, Apple and the like, um, had been, quote unquote, infiltrated by um, different sort of chips or on top of chips mm-hmm. in order to track, in order to... Uh, it was phenomenal, but it, it therefore made one very aware of how real this is. Oh, absolutely, and um, there, there is a big gap as well, I think, between uh, you know where China is on, in terms of intellectual property and technology, and where the U.S. wants it to be. And I, I don't think that gap is going to be bridged anytime soon. So, you know, our, our view is that the trade wars will continue to escalate. We will see the tariffs increased from 10% to 25% at the beginning of next year. And we will also see the U.S. put tariffs on uh, the remainder of Chinese imports um, that it's threatened to do. I think it will carry on following through with that because I can't see China doing what the U.S. wants it to do. Um, And then from an emerging market standpoint, given, mm. I mean, as as you've said, there's been a little bit of Softening of the rhetoric in relation to to, to, um, to Canada and uh, and to the EU, as you described, which is reassuring that the US still wants to be part of the world. Um, but uh, but clearly, China remains very relevant for many emerging markets. Um, uh, and then you put that in tandem with what we were describing earlier in terms of interest rates. How do how do those two things? Because I know a number of people. Uh, the reason I'm asking mm. is that because. Emerging markets have been crushed um, yeah. uh, 
but therefore looking for, if you like, a strand of hope which potentially to re-enter the market. So, um, yeah, so China's been responding by easing policy. So we had that cut in rates on Sunday uh, coming through in the reserve requirement rate. And, um, you know, we we would expect actually probably that process to continue. So China's done a bit of a U-turn this year. It started the year tightening policy and, and now is, is easing. Um, there'll be a lot of focus on what they choose to do with the currency uh, as to whether they, or not they, they go for a devaluation there. I think if they did, that would certainly hit risk assets. There'd be much more concerns about deflation in the world economy, a little bit like we saw in uh, 2015, 2016. It'd be a rerun of that period, which was very volatile for markets. So that that is, a, a, if you like, a sort of weapon that China has. You know, it could actually destabilize things quite a lot. Although I don't think they necessarily want to do that. I think they they still see the currency as something that they want to promote as being stable. Uh, they know that if they use it as a tool to offset, uh, say, the tariffs, then that could lead to more capital flowing out of China, and then that will create more of a headache for them, and they may have to either allow the currencies to devalue further or even begin to have to raise interest rates. So they don't want to get into that kind of thing. They, they want people to maintain confidence in the, in the currency. But in emerging markets generally, yes, I mean, it has been a difficult year. Um, we are probably going to see some emerging markets having to raise interest rates because, of course, the weakness of their currencies, and this is where, you know, where we've seen India and, you know, uh, Brazil, Turkey, Argentina, South Africa, a number of economies which have had very weak currencies will now begin to experience higher inflation as a result of the fall in their current currencies. So, you know, this is the sort of double-edged sword of a devaluation. You know, yes, you get more competitiveness, but you get more inflation. And the emerging market economies may then have to raise interest rates to try and bring that inflation expectation back down again. So so this is really adding to the woes on on emerging markets, unfortunately. Okay, so you're you're still signing a a warning order there. Yeah, I I think it's still a little bit too early. I mean, the big hope really for emerging markets has been some sign that the U.S. economy would slow down and that the Fed would 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 signal that interest rates are getting near a peak, which Jay Powell singly refused to do last week. Uh, And and then you might get the dollar coming off, but but that we don't. I don't think we're there yet. Okay. Let's um, let's move closer to where we are sitting on a sunny day in London, which is um, uh, to Europe um, and Italy. Um, so the Italian, you know, BTP, the ten-year is now at um, something like three point six, I think, um, on the ten-year, three point six percent, and perhaps most alarmingly, that's three hundred um, bits over the equivalent bunt, yeah. uh, that spread, which is starting to get into that territory, and you've seen, you know, and it's being played out in the greed market today on the sort of weaker parts of the eurozone, mm-hmm. further knock on weakness from this ongoing tension between um, uh, the Italian government and mm-hmm. the EU Commission, mm-hmm. um, with a certain amount of insults being hurled yesterday. I saw in the press. Um, what, does, does, does this unfold badly, or actually is this again brinkmanship? Well. Um, our view on this, and again, actually, this is in the global market perspective, as Zangana put together a piece on that, and um, there was also some analysis in the economic viewpoint as well. 
you know, our view on that is that although the budget was bigger than expected, it, it wasn't that excessive that made us particularly worry about the near-term um, debt dynamics. We still think that that, you know, the 2.4% deficit, although higher than expected, as I say, is not enough to really sort of blow out the debt dynamics. But, of course, this is a, a moving uh, issue, and as the bond yield rises in Italy, the debt dynamics deteriorate further. And I think you know, the, the concern would be that if the bond yields continue to rise, uh, then the markets will basically be looking for the Italian government to make some positive noises in order to bring those bond yields under control and indicate that they would perhaps be willing to sort of nod a little bit in the direction of the EU Commission and say, well, actually, yes, well, we will do something in the future to bring these the, the, the deficit back under control or bring it down again. Um, so that hasn't, we haven't quite got to that point. But the other point that is made by the analysis uh, that, that we've published is that the, the medium-term debt dynamics are pretty poor. So you're looking out over a five-year view because of the demographics, the growth rates are, are going to be quite, Italy, quite weak. Italy has the fastest aging population in, in Europe, I think. Uh, yes, I, I believe that, that's probably right. And, and so the growth rate you know, that you get on the back of that ends up being quite weak. Um, and that really begins to undermine things. But I would just to sort of step back for a moment, I think we have to recognise that these kind of issues are going to be with us for some time because we are in a world now where interest rates are normalising. Right. You know, when you look at the data in the Eurozone on a, as a whole, you have to conclude that this is not an economy that needs an interest rate of minus 0.4%. Yeah. It's growing, you know, and it's not growing as fast as maybe hope, it's growing at around 2%. Inflation is beginning to, to respond, wages are responding. Um, you know, they, they do need to move interest rates right. up. Yeah. So, you know, the, the good times, the easy days for big borrowers like Italy, you know, they are, are behind us now. So it's going to get more challenging. So I'm afraid that is what continues to cloud sentiment, is the awareness that things are going to need to change and, and Draghi mm-hmm. indeed has put the market on notice of that, of course, in terms of um, an end to QE um, from a Eurozone standpoint. That's well underway already, as you've been commenting in, uh, in, the, in the US. Uh, and we talked about the trajectory of interest rates there. Um, so it, it does um, it does point to quite a tough um, tough environment where, from an equity standpoint, it's going to be as usual, perhaps at this stage of the cycle, as usual about underlying earnings uh, delivery and companies that disappoint will get punished quite severely, which again is an underlying case for, for active management. Um, so let me therefore um, sum up quickly in the last minute that we have. Um, I think uh, it's, it's important to highlight again um, what has happened at the 10-year end of the U.S. Treasury market over the last week, um, breaching that 3%, um, as you say, partly driven by um, underlying fundamentals. Uh, we talked about the tightness of the labor market, but also, uh, remember, it's uh, due to ongoing liquidity normalization, let's use that word, um, as QE is withdrawn but it applies pressure, pressure that continues to be uh, felt in particular by emerging markets. Um, secondly, uh, the trade picture continues to dominate headlines, uh, but the good news is um, that uh, it does seem to be more about US-China relations rather than anything more structural, um, given uh, the deal that was struck um, with Canada by the US um, and the slightly more conciliatory rhetoric that we've been having from the US towards um, the EU. Um, and so kind of the fear of walls going up everywhere was perhaps uh, a little overdone. But the China-US picture 
is very real and one that um, uh, is likely to remain for a while given the relative ambitions of those two uh, empires. Uh, and then finally, we talked about um, Italy in the context of um, the continued sell-off in the government bond market there because of the structural debt problems that exist, um, which acts as a further kind of warning sign again, and, and given what Draghi is made likely to do in terms of pressure on the Eurozone as a whole, um, and that those areas of weakness, um, we seem to have been talking about this for years, um, those areas of weakness continue to remain, uh, and given in particular Italy's uh, case of uh, an aging demographic, one which there's no really easy way out of um, with all the political ramifications uh, and tensions that that can be associated with. So with that, Keith, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and Hugh, that concludes our call for today. Thank you. Thank you. You can now disconnect your lines.